Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of State of the Art. Uh, this is your old friend Ethan, who is stepping in for Andrew as he is taking care of daddy duties. He is a new father, and with that comes a lot of sleepless nights and new responsibilities. So, I am, am thrilled though because this this episode um, is is the closing episode for. Uh, June, which had our guest host, Dorothy Santos, uh, and was talking about queerness. And, um, you know, I'm I'm recording this intro actually as Pride goes on outside uh, in San Francisco as it is um, parades all around the world. Um, And so it seemed fitting that for for the month of Pride that we would have this topic and and have someone who comes in who, um, you know, like we do with many of our, our guest hosts, you know, is much more qualified to to talk about and, and into um, you know the theme that's chosen and you know obviously this this was a, this is a great month to have it but more so Dorothy is an incredible person her energy her intellect her enthusiasm and curiosity to learn is um, well it was evident from the first time I met her on a on a panel uh, that we did and and it comes out in every episode and. Um, it was it was a pleasure to have her on, uh, and also to learn so much from her. But also sitting down, you know, these are supposed to be sort of fifteen minute uh, kind of closing and opening episodes, and you know, both the intro one as well as this one went on for an hour because really she can talk about anything and in such a way, um, both having such in depth knowledge, but uh, delivering that message in a way that um, is easy to uh, understand and and sort of to grasp uh she knows she really um she boils it down and it was so much fun we probably could have done twice as long but um you know time time is something that we respect of all of yours so without further ado um i'm excited to bring you the closing summary episode for uh dorothy and queerness uh that was brought to you by me uh, vanessa our producer and of course dorothy Enjoy. Dorothy, it is so great to have you here after wrapping up a month on State of the Art. How do you feel? I feel really good. I remember um, when we first, well, when we first met for the uh, panel that we did at the Battery. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was amazing to have have you on. Like, And, and it was one of those things where you know, it was a bit of a, like a last-minute uh addition to the panel but you came in and were so natural with like the whole group mm-hmm. and we're like a really good um um yeah just a, re- a great addition and in, in sort of the dialogue that you brought to it and like the energy so that's why i was excited to have you know we were excited to bring you on uh to state of the art but i'll have to say you definitely you have like an amazing energy and presence that really came out in your podcast that mm-hmm. i guess you know in the panel i think it was just maybe it was a different environment that I didn't sense. And it was awesome to see and hear you. Oh, wow. I don't have a blank check for you, but thank you for your generosity. Yeah, no, really. <laughs> no, I, I, I was that's like... Something, that's something, that's a compliment one pays for. No, seriously, that's very kind. That's I mean, very generous. We were talking, I mean, just now when Vanessa said that, you know, you wanted to edit down the first episode uh, that you did with Andrew, and we didn't. And there's not, I'm not sure there's anything that we would have because... Really, like you, uh, even your tangents, as Vanessa said, were like awesome, and you always brought it back to, um, to like to the to the conversation and dialogue. 
Oh, well, thank you. I it, it was really fun to speak to all of you, to speak to Andrew, to speak with you two today, and then to do the interviews. It's, yeah, it's, I love, I, I don't know, I think I have found something I really love. You know, podcasting has been really, it's been a really great venue and outlet for me. Because not everything fits in academia, not everything fits for, you know, my writing. Because when you write for something to be read versus when you write for something to be said or spoken, it's very different. And so podcasting kind of enables me to, I don't know, to, to kind of venture into different realms of conversation and also narration that I don't think that I would be able to do in other areas of my life how did you how did you discover like come upon uh the idea of wanting to be a podcast host because you host a podcast yes in addition to the month that you do it spent with us like how did you think to yourself okay this is what i want to do well originally i approached art practical because art practical which is a bay area based publication i that was the first publication that published my writing so i kind of felt Hey, I want to work in, you know, I want to produce some kind of media content that would suit my personality. I'm pretty curious. I'm loquacious, talkative, always have been. Why not do a podcast? And originally, my pitch to, you know, Art Practical was, hey, why don't I take over and revamp being Gildsdorf? Um did this, uh, she did this, uh, it wasn't a podcast, but she did a column for Daily Serving, which was like a sister publication for Art Practical called Help Desk. So she would get all of these questions like, I have, I'm working with this artist that doesn't respond to my emails. They didn't sign a contract and now I'm stuck with institution, you know, just saying or sharing rather, you know, community members basically sharing their art world woes. And it's kind of a Dear Abby version of like, you know. And so my original pitch was to do a podcast of that because I oftentimes get questions, you know, regarding curation. Uh, you know, artists will ask me, how do I get a curator to pay attention to me? Or how do I build a relationship with a writer so that they can, so someone can write about my work? Or people will ask very logistical questions like, would you include XYZ in a, in a contract if you are working with, you know, ABC institution? And then they basically thought, no, we don't want you to do that. We want you to do what comes, I think, a bit more naturally to you, which is talking about new media and digital art. And since you are this emerging scholar and you want to kind of distill and translate this information, well, why don't you do something that bridges the gap between, you know, old and new media? And, you know, because I, I think a lot of people, they're so taken by the ooh shiny, but not realizing like, yo, virtual reality, that's existed for a minute. You know, yeah. like at the turn of the 18th century, it was just called... It was called immersion and it was done through peat boxes or Mario Ramas, but it's virtuality, you know? So a lot of what I'm looking at in the, in print, on print screen is basically that. Yeah. So that's how I came upon hosting uh, for art practical and then hosting print screen. What, um, what was, was there anything different about coming on as sort of like a guest host into state of the art or, you know, I know you, you did four 
episodes like very quickly that you know that you liked or that you didn't like or that was a challenge? Well, I think because the format for print screen is a little bit different. The way I constructed the content for print screen was I do an intro. I might have an interview or not. And if I don't have an interview, I do kind of a narrated story. Like, let me take you on a journey, you know, um, very, you know, small world after all type of thing, you know, but with a particular content, um, very, not that it, not that the content I, that I would produce is like Disney-esque, but what I'm saying is it's literally like this slow ride, you know, this, this kind of drifting through, um, a particular topic. So again, like I covered immersion or virtual reality. And then, um, and if not, then I typically do an interview and then I, you know, supplement the whole entire episode with a screenshot because it's called print screen. So what am I looking about? What am I looking at? What am I thinking about? And that's typically something I screenshot because everyone screenshots something and then kind of an outro. And how it differed being a guest host to that format was, oh, this is predominantly interviewing. So I have a little bit more uh, freedom to kind of not stick to a format because that is a specific format that yeah. over the that first season of print screen, people come to expect like, oh, Dorothy's going to have, you know, an intro, a narration or an interview a screenshot and an outro, you know, it's like kind of like there's beats and then there's moments of, you know, in writing what one might call like ventilation or like, where am I breathing? And so, and where's the other person? Like, where does the listener have time to breathe? And that's something I had to really face when doing state of the art, because I, I know for myself, I was, I'm just going to be 100. I was terrified and horrified at that first interview with Andrew because Why? when I, well, because when I listened to it, I'm like, damn, I talked a lot. And I, and I went on tangents. And even though I circled back, I was like, I didn't mean to say that much. And I'll be honest, even when I looked at it, you know, it was an hour long. I was like, wow, an intro episode's an hour long. But <laughs> I listened to the whole thing. And I was like, this is great. I mean, like Vanessa, who's sitting next to me, said, I mean, there's nothing that we wanted to cut. But yeah, I was like, wait, is this the first episode or yeah. Yeah, I mean, it I mean that that kind of in and of itself the the interview I mean, truth be told like I really want to be like Krista Tippett one day where I just sit back and I have this this soothing like the enthusiasm still there, but I have this deep kind of compassion for whoever I'm interviewing because I really love how she talks to people. And recently I've been listening to Jesse Thorne and he has this way with his guests where yes, they, they talk about things just organically, but he also asks really good questions. Yeah. Um, you know, but I also love my tarot witchy woo woo podcast too, where it's, it's almost all narration. It's all like, let me just tell you about the nine of wands cards and spend 20 minutes on that. It's like, I'm learning so much about myself through doing this. And I think, I think that's why I took upon the challenge because at first I'm just going to bust myself out. I thought that I was just doing one episode. Yeah. No, you got you and Andrew talked about that. And then you <laughs> yeah. found out I was four and you're like, oh. But, no, I mean, but even, even my you... response was just like, oh, sweet. I can yeah. talk to three more well, artists that's... that I appreciate. I remember that conversation because you kind of just pulled out like three more artists from yeah. your back pocket. Just yeah. like slammed. <laughs> like if this was a card game, you just like threw down the fucking cards and you're yeah. like, all right, like full house, whatever. Like yeah. you took it. 
really well, which made our jobs easier because that phone call on my end was really awkward because I was like, oh, shit, she thinks she's only doing one episode. So I'm like texting Andrew on the side being like, I think she thinks she's only doing one episode. But like, what do you think she thinks? Like, should like, and you handled it like a champ, obviously, and oh, you did you. really well. So Aww. I mean, and that's kind of the reason we brought you on the podcast. Like Andrew mentioned this in the first episode is you have all these labels and you're just so knowledgeable and you present well and you have this like great voice and it's just, Aww, thank you. I mean, the empathy reads in every episode, like you can really hear like in your questions, they're very direct, but they also leave like enough room. Like you're kind of like, guiding you're very good at like guiding that conversation Hmm. i mean you go off on tangents too but you always bring it back which is this thing that i mean we're amazed by and it just you can hear it in every episode so i'm so touched i really am which now i'm wondering like are you gonna keep pursuing audio projects podcasting well you know was this inspiring or exhausting or both no, this was inspiring. <laughs> I don't know how I don't know how she's gonna feel about me sharing this story, but do you remember Tabitha Soren from MTV? Yes. Wait, yes. But remind the audience and myself. Oh, Tabitha Soren was a was a journalist and she Basically, I adored and ad- deeply admired her. And I think as a journalist, but also as someone who was delving into both politics, popular culture, and really caring about the audience. Basically, she was a, I think she also worked with Kurt Loder and they were both journalists for MTV. But I think a big reason why she was very influential in me actually thinking anything of journalism and media was just the ease of how she would be her ease with people. And, uh, you know, I come to find out that she's actually an artist and she's a very talented artist, but when she complimented me on print screen, I, and I don't think she knew that I, I knew who she was. And I really took that to heart because it made me feel that it was something that I could continue, something that I could do as professionally, not just as kind of, you know, a hobby. And our practical is it is a job. Yeah. But what I mean by that is I think, especially when you're doing media content, that's more so it's very niche and it's for the art world. I think to a certain extent, people think, well, what's your what's the versatility in that? And I think a part of me is wanting especially after this experience, I actually want to produce media for the general public. And I might say something super controversial, but fuck it, I'll say it. Is I, I, I know that I'm pursuing a degree within the arts division. It's an art degree. I'm getting my PhD in film and digital media. But I increasingly love art, but I, am, I, I almost have this growing disdain for the art world. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is because it runs off of these economic models and ecosystems that aren't sustainable. And I think when people ask for experimentation, what they're wanting is, no, we want something that is scalable, marketable, legible. And for me, 
I think when with working with students, whether they're undergrads or graduate students, or I'm, you know, mentoring someone in the community, I, I don't know. I want to, I want to be both realistic and compassionate, but it's also sometimes really hard to be enthusiastic. So it was really interesting for, to hear you two and even Andrew say, you're so enthusiastic. And I think a part of that is because I work really hard at studying and reading and listening and consuming media, you know, that moves me, but also, you know, looking at stuff that's kind of doesn't require my mind either. I mean, I've, I'm more recently kind of, I told you, I like Game of Thrones is probably one of the only shows I'm like, oh, I'm really not thinking anymore. It's like, it's kind of meditative. It's yeah. It's just like, I just have to sit and watch this thing and be entertained. And, um, I'm trying to step a little bit more into that. So, you know, I, I know I also can, yeah, that I can be someone that people kind of think, oh, that's, I, I guess I want people to, if, whether it's podcasting or writing, I, I would ideally, I hope that people think of me as Dorothy's a really cool, knowledgeable friend. Yes. That's kind of the, that's what I would want. And I, and actually doing state of the art made me guest hosting actually it kind of, it really did encourage that. Like I, this is something I want to continue doing. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. It's so, I always, it's like, yeah, your, your best friend or like your best friend's older sister or someone you like look up to, you know, and I, I've used this before where it's like the, the knowledgeable, like uh, best friend's older sister that works at the, the record shop. Where, like you go in, Oh yeah. you know, and like, and is credible because they, they, they know what they're talking about. And it's sort of like in an authority, but not really. And like, but they also are down to like hip and cool and like all the up and coming stuff. So you go to, and you like look up for them, look up to them, but then also, but not in the way you look up to like a teacher, but just someone who you think is like cool and incredible. Yeah. I mean, I've, I, I don't mind saying this, but it's like, I, I love this idea. I mean, not that she's really come out with anything, but I used to make this joke about how I wanted to be, uh, like the Cardi B of academia, you know, not everyone is going to like dig me, but if people the kind Cardi of, B of That's <laughs> like great. If people that can should kind of... be your Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously, <laughs> but I mean, it's, it's true. You know, it's, I think, I think the reason I also just have it. I mean, I do have an academic response to why I think she's very popular in this cultural moment, but I think a lot of it is because she's accessible. And I think people see, I think it's kind of one of those things where when you see someone that has struggled as much as you have, because I, I think for me, I want to be what I needed when I was growing up. You know, I didn't come from this affluent family. When people make assumptions, I don't even like telling people that I'm in graduate school because they, people, a lot of people will make assumptions yeah. about what you know, what you, where you came from. You know, I had... You know, I, I had immigrant, I have, I come from an immigrant Filipino family and they didn't actually. And I think a lot of my family members are just kind of like, oh my gosh, why are you doing art? You know, like yeah. it's, it's not, you know, I, I don't come from, I don't come from like a family that would necessarily look at what I'm doing as pragmatic. And I think for them, that's fine. You know, I don't, I'm not that's not a critique of my family. It's just by virtue of like survival, you know? Um, and I have, and I have friends that come from totally, you know, 
opposite kind of, you know, or they're on the other other end of the spectrum. You know, I went to school with people who they had doctors and scientists and, you know, lawyers as parents. And so there's a certain type of access to information and knowledge that they'll have and being in the world that I just, I didn't grow up with that. So already I feel, I almost feel like, oh, that this is the reason why I, I like doing the work that I do as someone who is aspiring to be an educator, but also aspiring as someone who wants to be, you know, even though I just said what I said about the art world, like I'm in it. I, I want to, you know, and even now I'm pursuing graduate school. Like that's a privilege in and of itself that I have to constantly check, Yeah, you know, because I do have access to information and knowledge now, but that's, that's also after quite some time of like putting in the work. You know, and then working in biotech for like almost 14 years, you know. Yeah. But. Well, you know, you're like a, an amazing guest and a host. You know, I feel like we, could, we could talk down this path. But thinking thinking back to, to the four episodes you did, I mean, what is there something that stands out about any, any of the episodes or each one of them to you when you like think back? You know, it's it's interesting because all four artists, they are amazing you know, Anum, Yasheng, you know, uh, Brina, Lark, all four are just insanely humble artists. Yeah. And I think the four of them kind of thought, oh, I, you know, I, gosh, what am I going to say? And what, what came out so naturally for all of them was connecting back to, you know, the things that, are meaningful to them, you know, you know, so with, with, with Anum and, you know, what Sufism kind of meant for them, you know, with Yasheng talking about, you know, this kind of a problem that he has always thought about was, well, what's the difference of queerness within the Western lens or through the Western lens and in the U S versus, you know, Asia and this idea of Asian Confucianism and, you know, just going off on those depictions in anime, manga, film, and media. And, you know, making certain that with then Brina, well, what's something that touched kind of their practice? And a lot of it stems from, you know, their, you know, their grandmother, you know, talking about how, you know, she used to read Daffy Duck in Spanish when she was young or, you know, and, and then with Lark talking about, you know, again, making really uncomfortable topics such as surveillance and trauma and assault and, a, you know, you know, uh, like not just leg legible and visible, but, you know, you know, making like playing with those ideas, like literally through, you know, creative coding. Like I, I think what came out was, oh, when I, when I emphasize how impactful their passion was about their particular topic, that it just kind of opened the floodgates. Like, I think that that's with anyone. And I think with all four of them, I think they were, I got the sense that they were worried of like, oh God, what am I going to say? How am I going to sound? But they, I knew all four of them would be brilliant because mm -hmm. they are brilliant individuals. So for me, that wasn't so much a surprise, but you know, you, you, you also can't guarantee that that's going to happen. Like just because you know, someone's passion and you're enthusiastic about it, you can't, it's not a guarantee that they're going to want to talk about it. 
So it was really nice to have them all kind of really open up about their practices. And, um, you know, Andrew asked me something in the first interview, is there anything off limits? And I think a big part of it for me was I just don't want anyone to talk about trauma because even when you talk about it, you can relive it. Mm. And that didn't really come up. That didn't, you know, I, even with Lark, when we talked about Traumagachi, their, their project Traumagachi, um, you know, that, that wasn't, it was, it was a really wonderful conversation more about, you know, what inspired the design, the look, the aesthetic and the wording of the project, you know? So, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm trying to also, I want to, there's a part of me that feels compelled, like, oh, I need to find something that was challenging. Um, I mean, okay, here, here it is. The one thing is when I get really excited, I also, like I said, I can go on a tangent or I can ramble. And I think I was scared of that. But I think knowing that I had to, I had a particular format that I wanted to stick to. Um, at times I, I was, I, I had to fight against that. So maybe that for me was the biggest challenge was, you know, focus, focus, like telling my inner voice, like, yep, don't, don't derail focus. Like you want to talk about the squirrel, but don't talk about the squirrel. Cause you're talking about this piece of artwork, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, that's right. With, um, Yashin, you asked an interesting question about the possible dichotomy between an author's queer intent versus the audience's imposed projection. Mm-hmm. Do you think that audience projection um, and perception trumps the author's intent? It depends on the type of media, because if it's interactive media or like a playable uh, experience, so like a game, then yeah. And if you ask someone, and I'm about to get mad academic e right now, but if you ask someone like, you know, media scholar, and you know, Abigail DeKosnick over at UC Berkeley, then it's like, yeah, because there's these things called, there are these, these things, these entities called fandoms. I mean, for goodness sake, if a, if a topic gets popular enough, it has its own subreddit, you know, like that's what I think about when I think of that answer, you know, and I remember when I was talking to Yasheng and he said, you know, the way that he answered that, you know, I thought was really, was really you know, a very fruitful, robust, generative answer. But I think when I, now that I'm answering the question that I asked, I think it could be, but it's, it could also be dangerous because I think in a lot of ways, if something is that meaningful to a, you know, in, in whatever cultural moment, then yeah, the, the players, the readers or the participants intent could actually, could actually trump Ugh, I don't even, I can't even, I didn't want to use that word, <laughs> but it could, <laughs> for obvious reasons, but it could, relive any trauma, but it's, it could, that, that is, that is how I think people can also see. And I, I would hope that the world acknowledges the power of, uh, of artists there and their influence. Um, you know, but it, yeah, I, I mean, hopefully that answered it. Because I think I, I am trying to remember again what I... Um, I mean, it's an interesting yeah. question you guys engaged in because it's applicable to the art world at large, oh, to course. topics at large. I mean, it's something that in the art world, world generally is a topic of debate constantly. Like, how much does the author, the artist's intent matter when art is 
subjective, air quotes, subjective. Mm -hmm. Like, is art really subjective? Should it be subjective? And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it was interesting to hear it now placed in a different or framed in a different way Mm -hmm. for someone like me, who's constantly thinking about it in terms of like the arts. Now we're thinking about it in another way. And it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's a question that applies to so many things. And it's just one of those questions that doesn't really have an answer. I mean, it's, yeah. maybe it's a subjective question. I mean, yeah, I mean, I no, I mean, I, I think the reason why I asked it is because in relate in relation to Yasheng, my conversation with him was the fact that Clamp, this, you know, artist collective was, you know, making media or, you know, engaging in, you know, creating, you know, content um, that you know, it was, it, what is that word? What is the word that I'm trying to, not subversive, but it's almost subliminal. It's subliminal. Mm-hmm. So even when Yasheng, when he brought up, oh, you know, this idea of queerness in Asian culture is based off of Asian Confucianism and this idea that queerness in the West or in the U.S. is, okay, it's, it's queer, queerness is, it, because it's, it's bad because it's immoral. But in Asian Confucianism, it's this idea of, oh, it's aberrant because you don't want to continue the family bloodline. So it's actually not about, you know, your sexuality and your gender mm. being unnatural. It has more to do with like logistical, like fa- family logistics, mm-hmm. you know? So then how then do you address that? Well, then if the, if the, then it, then, you know, when I think of the question, a part of me thinks, oh, well, then maybe it is really up to the reader, the participant, the player, because in clamps, uh, or even some of the, the media that Yasheng went, brought up, you know, if you want to explore this idea of going against fil- filial piety, and then you make your characters cyborgs or androids or angels or chimeras, you instantly know that there's a queerness to that because the human character can't have children with this other character. And I, I love that kind of subversion slash subliminal queering of, of, um, you know, uh, that kind of, um, I guess union, you know, like could like it, it, in some of the media that he brought up, it's, I kind of thought about that too, where it's like, oh, I guess it really is up to me, you know? And I didn't, that was the first time thinking about, even when I, even now that I think back on that question, I'm like, oh gosh, you know, why, why did I even ask that? And I think a part of me asked it because there's so many things I just assumed to be queer, mm-hmm. you know? And I finally remembered because I forgot it in the episode <laughs> with him. It's Peppermint Patty. I grew I up thinking yeah. Peppermint Patty was gay as hell <laughs> and loving Peppermint Patty and I, and, and the character that would always say, yes, sir, you know, like, and, but there was something intrinsic for me because it was my reading of it. But I don't think Charles Schultz, I, I think that's the one who mm-hmm. created, I don't think that was his intent. I think he was just drawing these kooky kid characters and kids are, kids, kids are their kind of own, you know, thing, like they do their own thing, they act the way they want. And, you know, at least in my world, you know, if I ever have children, I don't, I wouldn't want to limit their, their kind of identification or gender in any way. How did you feel? This is probably going to be a tangent. No, we might might cut this, but no, that's fine. How did you feel about um, the whole Dumbledore being like outed as gay 
like after the fact by J.K. Rowling. Like I don't know if you're a Harry Potter fan, but yeah, I did hear about that. I watched one of the films. If you can refresh my memory of which one he is, because I'm trying to think. He's the main old wizard. He's the like headmaster of Hogwarts. Harry Potter's yes, mentor. Yes, 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 yes. Um. Oh, I thought I was great. I actually, because I remember the news stories. Uh, I remember the media around that. And I was actually excited. I was like, well, that's fantastic. I kind of wish that people knew that beforehand. Right. You know? See, that was my my one issue. One, yes, it's fantastic. My issue with it was like, I was like, how much of that was her intent from the beginning? Yeah. Or how much of it was like, after the fact, or maybe at some point during the series, like, oh, you know what would be great is to... And, does that matter? Well, but I think at the end of the day, this kind of goes back to what DeKoznik would all her a lot of her research is about rogue archives or fandoms. So fan, like, here's a really good example of a fandom fan fiction. So when you have all these watchers of a show, you know, like you have tons of people theorizing and, you know, about Game of Thrones, for instance. So then when you have all these, I know that keeps coming up, but I think, you know, when, when you have all these theories for, for, for media, whether it's a story, a movie, a game, even, uh, you can't help as a creator then think, Oh, this idea has become quite popular. Maybe I should just you know, maybe I should just express that this, that the, the audience was right all along or give them what they want or what they need at a certain moment. Like I can't, I would never fault a creator for wanting to keep hush a particular identity of a character, you know, if, if that's what they so choose. Um, but for someone like me, I have a tendency to be very open, you know, um, about things like that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of other like queer characters in my life, but. Um, we were talking about a quote that you had about if, um, what is it? Like, it's like, once you escape the, um, the automatic, sorry, what was it? Once you escape the binary, you automatically collapse into the queer state. And I was wondering, like, what do you, how do you find, like, what is a queer state? Oh, geez. That was the conversation with Yasheng. And I mean, for me, I, I, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm not answering for all queer people. I'm answering for just me. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think it's when people don't give a shit about the binary, you know, or there's a, the expressions, whether, you know, gender expressions and, and sexuality are not of concern as much, you know, and I think a lot of that, you know, it happens. I think a lot, I think that's why language is really tricky, you know, um, collapsing into a queer state, uh, is something I feel, I'm not saying, I mean, in my own life, it's always possible because I feel I'm, I'm always doing that, but outside of myself, I don't know how possible that is in the world that we live in. You know, I kind of said everything and nothing at all. But that's kind of how I answer the question is like, I, it's, it's so in, it's like, like, I can't describe it. You know, it's, I, I couldn't describe what that collapsing is other than, you know, it's, it's a world that is not, you know, that's not riddled with xenophobia, misogyny, and, 
you know, even being misanthropic because some people just hate people, you know, um, being patriarchal. And I think that's kind of a, a queer space, you know, like where you don't have all these, these isms, but that's also so idyllic, you know? So maybe, maybe the queer space is always one of resistance, for instance, like in my life, I feel that it's always been that way, you know, because I think, you know, and this is going on a tangent, but it's adjacent and related where when I say that I'm queer, yeah, I'll explain it right now what I mean by that. Like, yes, I date the spectrum. I date, you know, and I haven't, I think I told Andrew this, this is the first time I've actually talked so openly with Andrew and with you two about my queerness. But yes, I date cisgender men. I date cisgender women. I date trans folks. I date I think my mom just doesn't want me to bring home a stuffed animal and say, this is my life partner. I think at the end of the day, my mom just doesn't want that. My mom just wants me to, to be happy. Yeah. You know, she just wants me to be content in my life and to find, you know, I think it's, it, that kind of goes with it. But the problem is people all of a sudden have assumptions about me. You know, when, you know, you are someone who, who is on the spectrum, who allows and who really just loves people. And, and, you know, I was, I, I don't know if I told Andrew this, I was telling someone how, um, I, I'm one of those personalities that's very addicted to intimacy. I don't like small talk, point blank. I don't like, oh my God, you know, like I, I get it. I'm starting to get into the habit of like, oh, how was, how's that? ice cream shop you know like I, I I'm starting to maybe form a little bit more of the habit of like just kind of easy conversation but yeah it's I I don't think I'm attracted or or I'm not attracted to to easy conversation because I feel like you know within my family or within different spaces that I find myself in I always find my mind and my heart so glut with these really heavy issues of you know, having to explain myself all the time, you know, or, and sometimes just not wanting to do that. Like, why can't I just be a human being? Mm. You know, can't I just be human? <laughs> yeah, you know, so maybe that's the collapsing too, is, yeah. is, is trying to reach that state of humanity, you know, but I'm not trying to be all woo woo in 1970s, like, you know, counterculture ish, maybe a little bit, but whatever. <laughs> Um, I don't know. Gosh, where do we go from there? No, I, uh, <laughs> like, yeah, episode done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, boom. That's our, uh, our no. Uh, well, the question I had. I mean, do you have anything to follow up on that? Not on that specifically. Yeah. I have a lot of questions. thoughts and questions and things that I will say. Can you plug that podcast you said that was like witchy woo woo mysticism? Oh yeah, strange magic. Okay, strange thanks. magic. Oh gosh, I yes, I love that podcast. I was I was gonna say a, a little bit later and you yeah, talk a little bit about how, about how many how many titles you already have and how you have to go by writer and um, but you had said you had thought about pursuing a degree in political cartooning. Mm. Oh, ethnic studies. Uh, so I was thinking of getting a PhD originally in ethnic studies and then, but my dissertation topic, my intended dissertation topic was political uh, cartooning. Like I wanted to look at, uh, how Filipinos, uh, were depicted around the turn of the 19th century, 
um, in in uh, tell us more magazines. Oh well, I think a lot of that was based off of when I found the book. The for, it was it's called the Forbidden Book, and it basically was a bunch of Filipino elders and scholars that dug up all of the depictions in uh whether it's satirical or uh, again political it's mostly political cartooning um and how uh doing kind of like a historical and somewhat visual analysis of these cartoons and oftentimes filipinos were uh they were drawn as children as babies to be taken care of by the u.s um, our, our, our colonial siblings, such as Puerto Rico, Cuba. Um, I really wanted to do that because I, I, and I told Brina this, I told them that I, at one point in my life, I really loved illustration and I wanted to be a cartoonist. I wanted to be an illustrator. Wow. And then I, I doodled t- from time to time, but not so much anymore, but that's why I really love their work, for instance, because they look at this like Afro Latinx kind of you know existence, not just with their family, but even kind of the things that they remember with their brother, um, really painful memories that they've had of being kind of one of the only you know POC in a predominantly like white high school. You know, that is one of the reasons why I wanted to study. I and I, I also wanted to do. You know, one of my favorite scholars and also someone who's become a really like dear friend, you know, Jan Rondilia is someone that, you know, she, she actually has her PhD in ethnic studies. Uh, her dissertation topic and her, her, her research is actually standards of beauty in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. So she's extremely well versed in the topic of colorism and just interdisciplinary approach being that she also knows a lot of like kind of African American studies and, African diaspora studies, because that's the other kind of uh, discipline that studies colorism. But that I also wanted to kind of infuse that because oftentimes, you know, in, in Filipino culture, I think a lot of that deep seated, you know, colonial mindset is, is very rampant, but it is, it's, it's kind of, it's under the surface. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why I wanted to study it. And I also think that comics, Graphic novels, cartoons are so much more powerful than people actually think. That it's quick. You can read something in 30 seconds. You will interpret the pictures that you see. And already you think that you know, you know, 50 years of U.S. Filipino history already, you know. And I think for me, that was one of the things that I, that was kind of my first foray into visual studying and wanting to do studies in visual culture. And what made you stop doodling? Um, I think it was, well, okay. I actually had a really bad experience. Um, and people, a lot of people don't know this, but I, I tried pursuing a third bachelor's degree because I originally double majored in philosophy and psychology. And then years later I went back and tried to do a bachelor's in illustration. And I took, I had a really traumatic experience with, uh, with a professor in illustration and feeling very bullied and it was around the time that my dad actually got really sick Mm. and so I just stopped drawing it was also the same time I stopped playing guitar was when actually I stopped playing guitar completely when he passed away but there are a lot of things that I used to do that I'm I'm trying to rekindle 
now because of, you know, um, even after I will say talking to the four artists this past month was really forcing me to think of like, my gosh, I used to do so many things and I just kind of like left them all behind because it was attached to something traumatic. And so why can't I reclaim that? But that's why I stopped because I had such a traumatic experience with an, with an illustration professor. Yeah. Who, who kind of shamed me when I asked about how would one draw a non-tentative line? And then he made everyone in the class, like he said, okay, everyone, let's show Dorothy how you do this. Put your hand on a piece of paper and draw with charcoal. That's how you draw a non-tentative line. And the tone of his voice was so demeaning. And then someone behind me who just fucking, he just drew Hello Kitty with horns and, you know, throwing up like the, you know, like not that I have, I'm not shaming like, you know, Satanists or anything like that. You know, I have some in my life that are pretty cool, but like he would just draw that all the time and he turned around or I turned around and he's like, this is charcoal. This is what it looks like. Do you need help drawing? And just having that humiliating experience does not make me want to do that thing. And even just saying it now, I'm like, huh, I've never talked about that publicly. Maybe I should start drawing again. But that is, that's one of the reasons why I stopped. All right. You're going to have another hobby after this. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. That was not light, but I will say if I'm, if I'm drawing and doodling these days, it has more to do with science since my research has been about gene editing and, um, like genomic research. So it's like, I'm drawing like molecules and things of that nature. I will say like, isn't it, I guess funny isn't the right word, but I feel like teachers can either be the bully that like puts you down and like makes you reject something or like the person that like gives you the hand and like makes you passionate about something. And that becomes the thing that you do. Absolutely. And it's just, it's really tragic that there's like these bullies out there that just, that have these positions of mentorship and they're just like total assholes. Cause I feel like, a lot of people have similar stories. Mm-hmm. Um, I can think of one, but like, what the fuck? Like, why are you an educator? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, thank God you're going to be an educator. So oh, you don't well, have to be one you. of those fucking assholes. But yeah, like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Yeah. All I have to say about that. You want to do rapid fire? No. You got more thoughts? I have a couple more questions. Oh, look at don't, you. Don't rush you're, you're doing, you haven't been host for a don't minute. Don't rush me. You're milking this. Uh, what, uh, what was a question that you wish you had asked? Like, is there a question that you think back and like, oh shit, I wish that I had like either asked or pressed on more? Okay wow. No, no, no. This is, I mean, well. She has to reference her mental notes. Give her a minute. I mean, <laughs> well, I will say this. Now that we're talking about, now that we're talking about this, I noticed in thinking back on my mental notes, I only asked Brina, oh, who, who are you looking at? Who is inspiring to you? You know, what, what cartoonists are, are kind of on, on the brain for you, top of mind? Who should we be looking at? I didn't ask that of the other three. 
And that's something I actually, when I listen to all of them again, I, that, I regret that the most because all four of them have so many things to share. And I do love this idea of knowledge dissemination being something communal where it kind of, you know, you, you learn about really cool artists and curators and writers and thinkers and, you know, creatives by asking that question. So yeah, that's the, that's the question that I, I, I regret not asking consistently. Yeah, for sure. Is there, is there one thing that stands out that you really wish that the audience, uh, would have taken away from this past month of your interviews? You know, I would, oh, so the question kind of, so the question is about what I want them to take, what do I want them to take away? Yeah. That queer people are awesome, number one. All right. But, <laughs> well, that kind of goes hey. without saying, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, that sometimes, sometimes the best things are not the ooh shiny moments mm-hmm. in the arts or in popular culture. That... Sometimes if you just look and listen carefully, you'll find gems of knowledge, um, you know, things to be excited about in these really beautiful moments. So whether it's, you know, looking at, you know, a video Anum did about Pakistani, you know, and, you know, culture and, um, thinking about those moments in the visuals that they created of, you know, what, what those things meant for them when they were making, you know, um, oh gosh, Dawn of Freedom, for instance, or with Yasheng, you know, realizing that, oh, that's the reason why some characters are made into angels, cyborgs, and androids in manga and anime. Like, who... Well, like that means something so different in Western culture or with, you know, Brina and, and seeing kind of the drawing of her, uh, thesis where, you know, there's this moment, there's one panel where, you know, she, you know, or sorry, you know, they've been in the water for too long with their brother. And the memory of that was because they, their, their fingers have turned to kind of raisin hands. You know, it's, it's these moments where they're depicting something so fleeting and so minuscule, but then it tells you how much they loved the water in Half Moon Bay, how much they wanted to stay in that moment with their brother. And then with Lark, also realizing that the way to you know, be, you know, uh, destabilize or to, to, you know, to queer or strange language can actually, can, it can happen at that syntax level, but you just have to be creative about it. And those are things, all the things that I just brought up about these really brilliant artists that, that takes thinking and sitting with and allowing yourself to see those moments. And so I would hope that the listener, listens to them or re-listens to them and explores each and every one of those artists' works and find those special moments themselves. It doesn't have to be the ones that I named, but looking at it um, like openly and generously. Wow. I think on that we can end. 
We're still going to do rapid fire. We're going to do rapid fire. Are we going to go back and forth, or is it just going to be me asking? Do you have some rapid fires? I never have rapid fires. Can you think of one? Okay, I'll go first. And you can, and you can go. Um, okay, what's your favorite current television show that you're watching? Twilight Zone, the new one with Jordan Peele. All right. What's your favorite plant? Oh, yes. I can't pronounce the name, but it's a, a new one that I got. Oh, my gosh. It's like, well, one is called the, uh, it's called like the Chinese money plant, but it's more commonly known as Peperodimetus. I think I totally butchered that name, but it's such a beautiful plant. And it, the sad thing is it, it doesn't need a lot of water because it doesn't like soggy water, mm. but, and it just, but I always feel like, oh gosh, I want to mist you. I want to water you. And I well, just have to be patient. Can you like make us visualize it? Yeah. It's really beautiful because the, the way that the plant grows is it, the leaves are Depending on the, I don't know if you call them species, but like, I guess the, the line of the plant, because there's different types of breeds of it, I guess, or species rather, um, is they have a tendency to bloom and then the leaves are relatively flat and uh, a very deep green. And they're not perfect circles, but sometimes they have points, sometimes not, but they're relatively round. And when you touch the leaves, there it has this really, they're not squishy, but it's like they're firm, they're like just firm enough. And it's like when you, when you, because I like touch all my plants and like that's how I, a form of meditation for myself. That's the woo-woo side. Um, yeah, but when you touch the leaves of this particular plant, it just, it, it almost feels like skin. Wow. Like human, it it's. I know for some people that might be like, I want to touch that. That's freakish. <laughs> but it's it's like it feels. It this is sound. This is so hippy dippy. But it feels it feels so alive. That went for me from incredibly like nice sounding and meditative to like Edgine or something. Like, like, I was just Sorry. Like, what the fuck? No, I. Well, okay. It to bring like it back. Skin. No, to bring it back to the beauty of the plant. It just it has a texture and feel that is. It's not flimsy. It's like a really alive plant. If you take really good care of it, it wants to be alive. And it's very, it feels vibrant. Wow. Okay. Yeah. You follow up. Rap rapid fire. Rapid fire. We got three. Okay. And, and, you, and you get an answer and then one sentence as to why. Okay. Okay. All right. Here we go. What's the next song that you'd want to play when you start learning guitar again? Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Oh, I thought about this too in the car. Gosh dang. Um. Oh my gosh, this is. It'll come back to you. Okay. No, no, no. There, we'll you, have to circle back. No, we're gonna circle back. Okay, you'll, we'll you'll circle get, back. Okay, okay, next one is what? What is? Uh, what's the number one item on your bucket list? You know, I would. Oh God. We really got you. Okay. No, 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 no. You know what it is? I, I actually, because I have a really bad habit, and I probably shouldn't say this publicly, but I'll say this. I want to touch at least three pieces of art at a really, like, at the Guggenheim or the Met. 
and even the NY moment because I have a bad habit. Like I which touch one's the like number art. one? Your number one art piece? Uh, oh, that you want to touch? Like are they specific or like what? No, just anything at like say the Met. I just want to like when no one's looking. I literally just oh. want to like do that. Oh my god! You know you can get away with that. Yeah. I yeah, that's well th- no, they're really strict now. That sorry, that's a boring. You bucket could do list the one. long con. Get a job or an internship or something at one of those places. That's true. And then sneak a touch. Okay, no, but I have a more exciting answer because you asked what's on your bucket list. And so I wanted to provide like one that's like very something I've thought about. But an exciting bucket list thing is I actually would want to go like snorkeling at like in the Maldives or some some place that I've never been to, you know, like I want to that's like a bucket list thing for sure. Just being in a in different waters somewhere nice, you know, but also yeah. Did you remember this song? (laughs) Come on. Oh, yeah. You know what? (laughs) I do remember it, and it would be really hard for me to play, but I've been listening to a lot of Krungbin. Okay. And so they have this one song called, oh, maybe it's like, Como Quieres? And if I could, but it would be hard to play. Like, that song is so beautiful and gorgeous, but it would be, it'd be really difficult for me to play it. What about Stir Fry by Amigos? Oh, don't, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's my guilty pleasure. <laughs> but maybe you can learn to play that. <laughs> well, thank you so much. This has been a blast. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you thank so you. much. If you ever want to come back. Yeah, we're going oh, to you know miss you. Where to find we're going to miss oh, you. Oh, yeah. Are you going to miss my Airtable? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Actually, you turned me on to Airtable. I know Ethan tried to way back when, but... Dorothy, the way she uses Airtable, it's I'm like, great. Shit, I mean, thank I you. I need this in my life. If only, <laughs> if only I could get some other people to, <laughs> to do well, it. Well, thank you so much for having me. Hey, everyone. Well, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Um, it was great to have a little bit of a cameo here. Thank you for having me. Um, and, you know, we really do enjoy uh, creating this podcast and, and all the listeners and hearing, you know, your feedback. And again, always, always ask for it. So, you know, what we're doing here with themes is new and guest hosts. You know, we'd love to hear your feedback. The best way to reach us is at Twitter at state of the art. Uh, and, um, as you hear on every podcast you listen to, uh, if you would do us a favor and rate and review us, wherever you listen to your podcast, it, it really does go a far way for helping us get discovered from other listeners like you. So thank you for that. And I'm excited to announce that next month for July, we are going to have another guest host, but I'm not going to tell you who it is. You have to listen later today as we release our intro episode of that, but it's going to be a good one. And of course, if you'd like to reach out to Dorothy Santos, you can find her at DorothySantos.com which is D-O-R-O-T-H-Y-S-A-N-T-O-S dot com. And also she is prolific on Twitter at D-Dot-E-Dot. That's D-E-E-D-O-T-T-I-E-D-O-T. Thank you. And here's the next episode.